Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, if you would, please take out your Bibles now and turn to them in the New Testament to the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark and chapter number 11. If you don't have a Bible with you, um, there should be one under a chair near you, and you could take that in the back part, turn to page 36, and you would be at Mark chapter 11. Now, while you're turning there, I, I wanted to just ask, have you noticed something? Have you noticed that there is a natural tendency that we have as humans to commemorate and celebrate special days. Uh, Every culture does this. You know, in the United States of America, uh, we like to commemorate and, and celebrate birthdays. And many other cultures do the same thing. In Latvia, it's kind of interesting, they like to celebrate and recognize birthdays, but they also do something else on an annual basis, and that is they celebrate what's called Names Day. And whatever your name would be, uh, everybody by that name has a particular day of the year, and they celebrate Names Day. Some of you know Ilgvars Vermelis here at Wildwood, who's got Latvian background, and his birthday is January 19th. His Names Day is March the 1st, so all the, those named Ilgvars would celebrate March the 1st as their Names Day. And our society sets aside certain days to commemorate and to celebrate. For example, we have Independence Day when we commemorate and celebrate uh, a new nation that was founded on religious freedom. We celebrate Veterans Day when we commemorate and honor those who risk their lives to defend our freedom. Uh, In our society, we celebrate Memorial Day when we commemorate and honor those who died defending our country. So there's this innate tendency, I think it's really a God-instilled tendency to celebrate and commemorate certain days. In fact, God himself instituted days like that, days in which there was to be celebration and commemoration. We, we see it in the Old Testament with the Passover. You remember the Passover was the celebration of Israel's incredible deliverance from Egypt. Another celebration that the Lord established was the festival of, or the Feast of Booths, or sometimes called the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, In the Hebrew, it's Sukkot. Uh, And what they would do with the Feast of Booths is they would be celebrating the ingathering of all of the harvest when it came in, and that was something to celebrate. And one of the things they would do in the Feast of the Booths is each family would, would build a, a booth, or, or really what was in Hebrew called a sukkah. And, and the, the family would build this little booth, and then they would eat their meals in that booth together as a family. And part of that was to remember the fact that Israel had been in the wilderness, and they were wandering, and they didn't have a home. They didn't have a place to live. Um, they didn't have a place to even have their meals together. And so these things are something that God says we need to remember and to commemorate. And as followers of Jesus, we have a series of special days that we are to commemorate. And those special days are the events of Easter week. And Easter week really begins today. Uh, Today is Palm Sunday. And of course, it all culminates 
in Easter Sunday when we celebrate the resurrection of the Savior. Now, why did I go through all of that and say that's pretty obvious? But I think the truth is that Easter and the Easter season often sneaks up on us. And why is that? Well, I think part of the reason why, it's especially true this spring, is that it's just cold out and there's this lingering winter that goes on and we're going to get hit with it again beginning tonight. And so it just doesn't feel like spring. It just doesn't feel like Easter season to us. I think part of the reason why it, it tends to sneak up on us is that we're just frankly busy people. We're distracted people. I was thinking about my own life, and here in the last few weeks of this spring, I have traveled to California three times, out to California and back, out to California and back, out to California and back. And that just makes for a busy life. And there's more that I did not get done over the last number of weeks than I have gotten done. And so I just get busy, and it's easy to get so busy, we really forget what's before us. And so what we need is a little bit of help to, to step back, to catch our breath, to reflect, to reorient our thinking, and to really be ready to commemorate and to celebrate the Easter season that starts today with Palm Sunday, to celebrate what I like to call the world's greatest love story. In order to help us get reoriented, I want us to look in the Gospel of Mark at chapter number 11, and I would like to read the first 10 verses and would invite you to follow along as I read from Mark chapter 11. Now, Jesus was traveling with his disciples, and verse 1 says, as they approached Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? You say, the Lord has need of it and immediately he will send it back here. Verse four, and they went away and they found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of the bystanders were saying to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission. And they brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches, which they had cut from the fields. And those who went in front and those who followed Jesus were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. So we want to talk a little bit today about the world's greatest love story. And Palm Sunday is really the launch point of our commemorating and remembering it. And when we talk about commemorating something, we really mean to call it to our memory 
uh, to mark it by some ceremony or some observation. When we talk about celebrating, we're talking about holding uh, an event up for public acclaim to extol it, to remember it. And that's really what Easter week is all about. It's all about the world's greatest love story. And so to help us to do that today, I want to look at five aspects of Easter week, the events of Easter week, and the world's greatest love story. We're just going to move our way through it. First, we're going to look at the preparation for it all. Then we're going to look at the prediction of it all. We're going to look at the expectation, the intention, and the motivation. So we're just looking at Easter week, the world's greatest love story. We're going to be examining the preparation for it, the prediction of it, the expectation, the intention, and the motivation. So let's do that. Let's begin by looking at the preparation for Easter week, the preparation for the world's greatest love story. And in order to do that, we want to turn to the right in our Bible, a couple of books, to the book of Acts and Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 22. And we have Peter speaking in Acts 2. And in verse 22, he says this. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. This is talking about the preparation for the events of the week of Easter. And what that is really saying there is, as Peter is communicating to these people in Jerusalem, is that Christ's ride into Jerusalem and the the cross that he ended up on was not an accident, it was an appointment. It was all by, as he says there, the predetermined plan of God. And the preparation for What we commemorate in the events of Easter in the world's greatest love story, the preparation for that began before time even existed. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20, it's a great verse speaking of Jesus. It says, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. Now, there's a lot in that verse. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. I think the NIV says before the creation of the world. Before there was ever anything anywhere, this had been predetermined by God. In 2 Timothy 1, it says this, that his purpose was from all eternity. I don't know what that really means, but way, way back deep into eternity. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it talks about God's wisdom being predestined before the ages. Before there was anything in existence, it was part of the predetermined plan of God. That was his preparation. And you'll notice it says in that verse that he has appeared in these last times, really what is probably the last one-third of human history. He's appeared in these last times, and what does it go on to say next? For the sake of you. Sometimes we just need to pause from life and let that sink down just a little bit. The world's greatest love story had its beginning in eternity past. And it was prepared and carefully crafted by the all-powerful one. And it was done for my sake and for your sake. So, so as we try to take a break from being busy in the flow of everything else, it's important that we understand the preparation for these things began before there ever was a world. Now, the second thing we want to look at, first of all, was just the preparation for the events of Easter week and the world's greatest love story. But secondly, we want to look at the actual prediction that this would happen. And in order to do that, we need to turn to Daniel chapter 9. So you go back into your Old Testament, and uh, about two-thirds of the way through, you have the book of Daniel, and Daniel chapter number 9. We want to look at verses 24 to 26. And while you're turning there, you might also want to grab the little insert that was in your, your bulletin in, in a goldenrod piece of paper, where we give you some more detail about this prediction. Now, when it comes to Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 26, is one of my favorite parts of all of the Old Testament. Some have called it the backbone of biblical prophecy. Sir Isaac Newton said of Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 26, he said, we could stake the truth of Christianity on this prophecy alone. If we had nothing else but this prophecy, we would know that Christianity is true. And this is a, a prophecy about what's often called Daniel's 70 weeks. Let's read chapter 9, verses 24 to 26. Daniel is told by the God of the universe, verse 24, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people, who would be Daniel's people, the people of Israel, and for your holy city, what holy city would that be? That would be Jerusalem. 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So Daniel, you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, which was in ruin at this point, until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks, and Jerusalem will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then after 
the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off, a Hebrew idiom for being killed, and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city of Jerusalem and the sanctuary, the temple, and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. Now, as we, as we look at this, it's, we need to clarify a couple of things. One is in verse 24 when it says, 70 weeks have been decreed. Uh, that word that's translated weeks is really nothing more in the original language for a, a, a word that stands for seven. It really means 70 sevens. We have the word dozen, which stands for 12. This is the same idea. They had a word that stand, stood for a seven. So, 70 sevens, or 490 years, have been decreed, and there's a beginning point. There's a decree that's going to be issued to rebuild Jerusalem, and then there's going to be a period of time until the Messiah shows up on the scene, and eventually, the Messiah is to be cut off. Now, if you look at the handout that you have there, this just helps to lay all of this out. Notice it says, from the decree to restore Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince comes will be seven units of seven and 62 units of seven, which ultimately equals... 173,880 days. We know that the decree to rebuild Jerusalem was set forth by Artaxerxes, that's in that circle that you see there, on March the 5th, 444 B.C. We know that 173,880 days after that, on March the 30th of 33 A.D., Jesus Christ came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey talked about in Luke and talked about in Mark and so forth. Now, we have down there a couple of boxes that show two ways you calculate all of this out. Um, in, the, in the Jewish way of thinking, they, they went by what's called a lunar year that had 360 days in it. We go by a different system that has actually 365.242 days in it. But no matter how you add it up, whether you're calculating it through Jewish lunar years or through our years, it comes out exactly the same. 173,880 days later, Jesus showed up on a donkey. And this is an incredible prophecy laid out very, very clearly. From the decree being issued until Messiah the Prince, there's going to be this exact amount of days. One of the reasons why people were throwing down coats and throwing down palm branches could well have been an understanding of this prophecy having their, you know, calculators out, figuring out when was the Messiah supposed to appear. 
But you'll notice it says that after this happens, Messiah will be cut off, will be killed, which happened on April the 3rd, 33 AD. And after that, the prediction says that the city of Jerusalem and the sanctuary, the temple, will be destroyed. And that happened several decades after Messiah was cut off. This prediction tells us something, and that is that the Lord Jesus Christ was not a victim of circumstances in any way. In fact, he was in control. In fact, he was carefully fulfilling prophecy and predictions that had been made hundreds of years before. You know, when he told the disciples, he said, you know, go over to this little village there, and I want you to find this uh, donkey colt that had never been ridden, and and I want you to, to bring it here, and if they ask you what you're doing, you just say the Lord needs it. When he did that, he was fulfilling Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. See, dramatically, the whole story of the events of Easter week is unfolding, unfolding because of a clear prediction that was made about it. So as we're just trying to orient ourselves to the events of Easter week and the world's greatest love story, we We've started off just looking at the preparation for this, and it happened way back in eternity. We've looked now at the prediction of it, very clearly stated in Daniel 9, 24 to 26. The third thing we want to look at is the expectation, the expectation, particularly on the part of the people. And we need to go back to Mark chapter 11 in order to look at that, where we were earlier, where we read from Mark 11. What were they anticipating? You remember that this used to be an independent country centuries before. They're now under Roman rule. They were chafing under Roman rule. What did they want more than anything else? To get rid of the Romans. They wanted to be free. And what were they expecting to happen when Jesus comes riding in on a colt? Well, again, look look at the verses, uh, verses 8, 9, in 10, many were spreading their coats in the road. Why were they doing that? Oh, Messiah's coming. Others spread leafy branches, which they had cut from the fields. And those who were in front of Jesus on the colt and those who were following behind him were shouting out loudly, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. It's going to happen. Hosanna in the highest. See, when when Jesus comes riding in on that colt, which is part of the events of Easter week and part of the world's greatest love story, the expectation of the people of Israel was extremely high. They had a sense that something was happening. They could feel it in the air. And not only the people of Jerusalem, but the disciples, they knew it was coming. The kingdom of God was coming. And and you know, one time Jesus turned to them and he said this to them. He said, I must undergo great suffering. You know what Peter replied to there? You know what he said to Jesus? That must never happen to you. You're going to be the king. You're going to bring the kingdom in. And that's exactly what the people were thinking. They were thinking he was coming to establish this 
political kingdom. He was going to overthrow the long-hated Romans. I mean, after all, they're looking at this, and he's entering the capital city. He's coming into the capital city like a conquering king would come in. And so that was their expectation of the events. But you know, sometimes the story takes an unexpected turn. It just is it's different than we anticipate, and that's exactly what happens here, right? In the world's greatest love story and the events of Easter week, we've looked at the preparation, and then we've looked at the prediction, and we've, we've examined the expectation that they had, but let's look at the intention that Jesus had as he rode in on that colt, and his intention was crucifixion, not coronation. In Mark chapter 8, verse 31, it says of Jesus, he began to teach the disciples that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. In Mark chapter 10, he took the 12 aside and he began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, behold, we're going to go up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered up to the chief priests and to the scribes and they will condemn him to death and they will deliver him up to the Gentiles and they will mock him, he's talking about himself, and spit upon him and scourge him, and kill him, and three days later he will rise again. But they didn't get it. They didn't get that that was the intention. You see, Jesus knew what was next. Jesus knew that he would soon be carrying a cross. Jesus knew that it would soon not be cheering, but jeering crowds, because that was the intention from the beginning. And the most amazing element of the world's greatest love story, the most amazing elements of Easter week is that Jesus Christ, the living God, came to die in my place. Can we ever really get over that? Can we ever, ever get over that? That was the intention. But why would he do that? I mean, really, let's just be honest. Why? Well, that leads us to the motivation. The motivation for the world's greatest love story. The motivation for the events of Easter. And it's found deeper into the New Testament, toward the end of the New Testament, in the book of 1 John. So turn with me to 1 John chapter number 4. 1 John chapter number 4. Familiar verses, but I'll tell you, they're worth just reveling in a little bit and wrestling with and refreshing our minds. Verse 9 of chapter 4 says, by this the love of God was manifested, where? In us. That 
God the Father sent his only begotten, his unique son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God. He was so impressed with our love for him. But that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the total, complete, and full legal satisfaction payment for our sins. The motivation is that he he loved us before we were born. He, He loved us before there was even time He loved us. We were on his heart before there was even a world that existed. Do you know what that means? That means he knew all about my failures. It means that he knew all about our unfaithfulness. He knew everything about it. He, he knew all of my warts. He knew all of my quirks, just as he knew all about your warts and quirks. He knew all about the darkness of our heart. But God so loved Bruce that he gave his unique son to die in my place. God so loved you that he gave his son. This is the world's greatest love story. And that's why it's so important that we're not too busy. That's why it's so important that we just slow it down a little bit. That's why it's so important that we ready ourselves for celebrating the world's greatest love story, that we just slow down and ready ourselves to prepare for the celebration of Easter week, that we slow down and ready ourselves to commemorate Jesus' death and resurrection for us. I mean, is there any special day as special as the events of this week? You know, um, you think of somebody close to you and you just forget their birthday. And you probably would forget their birthday because you get so busy and you just sort of lost track of things. Well, if someone who's very close to you and it's their birthday and and you forget their birthday, how how does that make them feel? It's like they're a little disappointed Well, if we're so busy that we really don't pay attention to the world's greatest love story and the events of Easter week, it just seems like it communicates a message to our Father that it's, you know, not in the forefront of our thinking. It's a great story. It's a story of of meekness and majesty blended together. It's a story of manhood and, and deity blended together. Somehow, in this incredible story, the Lord of eternity chooses to dwell in humanity 
giving himself as a self-sacrifice for my sin and for, for yours. And then rising triumphantly from the grave so that we, me, you, get to experience new life. and a great future in eternity. Uh, it's, it's worth celebrating. It's worth commemorating. And you know what I really believe? I believe that it pleases the heart of the Father when we take the time to do that. Indeed, it is the world's greatest love story. And the events of Easter week is something that we need to commemorate and celebrate. Now, you know, at Wildwood, as we've examined sometimes and work our way through Scripture, we like to talk about some life response, giving all this information and the need and, and how important it is that we celebrate and let the Heavenly Father know that we're celebrating. What can we do? And I'm going to suggest two things by way of life response. Number one is to reflect your way through this week. To be remembering what this week signified and some of what went on. Now, I found a wonderful website that can help you in that regard. And I have this linked on the city and also on our webpage, but I'll give it to you right now if you'd like to just write it down. It's Christianity.about dot com. And again, if you go to the city or you go to the website, it will take you directly there. But if you go to Christianity.about.com and you click on the Easter tab, the second thing you want to do is click on the Holy Week timeline. And, And what they've done is organize the week by the day and what happened on those various days. It will give you what happened on every day of Easter week, uh, give you the scripture passages that describe what happened on that day. Uh, sometimes they give a whole summary story of what occurred on that particular day of the week. Uh, sometimes there's some extra information and insight given, and even a question for reflection. And so what you can do is it, it begins with Palm Sunday, and then you click on the next one, and it goes to the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day as you work your way through. So one thing that we can do is to just reflect our way through the week. And so this maybe is something that you can do as part of your um, devotional times, maybe in the morning, maybe in the evening, maybe sometime in the afternoon, whenever. Just spend a little time remembering more about the world's greatest love story. Second, life response that we can have is to worship in Wildwood. You know, even this week, we're going to have um, services, obviously. On Friday, we have our Good Friday service that will be here at 6.30 p.m. Large number of people come to that. Maybe you've never come to a Good Friday service. Well, maybe this is a good year to do that, just to simply worship with us as we remember the events that happened on Good Friday, and we're going to have a good time together, and we'll partake of some communion together, 6.30 p.m. on Friday. And then, of course, on Sunday, we're going to have our two services, our Easter services, our celebration of the resurrection services at 9.30 and at 
at 1050 like we normally have them. Now, you're in the 1050 service, and we know we have a lot of people who are going to come on Sunday who maybe aren't here normally, and I would just encourage you, if you're not here for both hours, you normally just come for a worship service to perhaps consider coming to the 930 service, which will just help us a little bit with the room because usually this service next Sunday is the most packed service that we have all year. We will have our highest attendance by far, by far, uh, this next Sunday. The world's greatest love story. If there's anything worth slowing down and remembering and commemorating and celebrating, it's that. Let's pray together. Father, we just really want to thank you for this opportunity. We need this. We need to be reminded. We know we're busy. <laughs> we get distracted. And if there's ever any special season of the year when we should not allow ourselves to be that distracted that we almost miss it emotionally, it's, it's the events of Easter week and the celebration of the world's greatest love story. Lord, we just really want to give you thanks today. We, we give you thanks that you've come. You have come. And you have come to bring peace and hope. And you have brought peace and hope to our life. And you have come to be our deliverer, to be our rescuer, to be our savior. And we just want to rejoice in that. We want to take in this week and celebrate what you have done for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And I think it would be only fitting that we stand together and, and sing some of those thoughts together as we just really let him know our heart of appreciation. Let's do that.